Welcome to the NCTM podcast. My name is Steve McCormack. I'm the communications director of the NCTM. And today we're looking for lessons learned from last summer's first sitting of the new maths GCSEs. We hope this will be of interest, of course, to all secondary maths teachers, but also maybe to their primary colleagues, because success at secondary school is, of course, built on foundations laid down much, much earlier. With me here, I have representatives from the three main English exam boards. And while we're introducing them, we'll get some very basic facts about the size of entry in their GCSE maths exams last summer. So firstly, Andrew Taylor from AQA. Welcome, Andrew. How many roughly sat your exam last summer? Morning, Steve. Morning, everybody. Uh, So for AQA, we had something around 148,000, 149,000 16-year-olds sitting the new specification this summer. And that's in England, of course. We're going to be sticking to England as far as figures are concerned. Next to Andrew is Neil Ogden from OCR. Neil? Hello, yes. Uh, We had about 60,000. And uh, on Neil's left, my right, Graham Cumming from edXL. Graham? Hello, Steve. Uh, We had about 380,000 for edXL this summer. Great, thank you. And if you add those three figures up, you get pretty close to 600,000, which is always the figure that I have in my mind as the ballpark figure for the amount of Year 11 students there are at any one time, year by year, in England. So let's uh, see what we learned. Some, let's start with some sort of ballpark observations. I'll start with Graham, if I may. Um, are there any real headlines about what you and your organisation learned from this first sitting of this new exam? I think what we learned was about the change in the demand um, was quite high uh, and perhaps some schools and students didn't feel ready for that and maybe that showed in the way that the grade boundaries um, were set. They were They were quite low. But I would say... You know, we saw that a lot of schools did rise to the challenge in, in the sort of things that those grade 8s and grade 9 students were able to do. They were to, able to meet a lot of challenging questions in, in that. Yeah. So the first, first time, of course, so what, what we're, what we're learned is limited. Obviously, you'll learn a lot more next time. But based on this first sitting, Neil, from OCRs, a, a headline observation? Uh, well, as Graham was just saying, yeah, the uh, demand had moved up quite considerably, um, but that was the original steer for these qualifications. Um, it was pleasing to see that we did see a handful of students getting full marks, so I think in terms of the level of demand, we'd sort of touched it quite well. Um, students, yeah, as Graham said, rising to that challenge. Um, differences within the assessment objectives that I think we'll speak a bit more about later, so particular types of questions that students responded to uh, more or less well. And Andrew? Yeah, uh, as everybody said, we we knew and we've known for several years that this GCSE was going to be more difficult uh, than than the uh, the previous A-Starter-G GCSE, and that proved to be the case. I think most of the feedback we got from teachers was, yes, we expected it to be harder, but it felt as expected. It felt about right. There wasn't a, a huge amount of fuss over the demand. Uh, in the summer, people had got used to that from practice papers, specimen material, from what we've been saying for the last two or three years. Uh, and and people, I think, had already uh, got used and, and, and thought about the the change in the tiering arrangements, that the only thing that was the same were the, were the titles of the two tiers, but uh, they, they'd uh, 
thought clearly about the different demands uh, of, of, of the new tiering system and what that meant for their students. OK, we'll come on to, to tiering and, and your views about the decisions that teachers made before the exams uh, a, li- a little later. But let's, let's try a few topics. And let's start with reasoning, because this is the, a word which is now uh, around a lot more than it was five, ten years ago, both at primary and secondary school. Uh, and uh, was it evident that the, the challenge to reason had been increased uh, mark- markedly? And, and how did students generally deal with this challenge? Neil, let's start with you, please. Uh, well, I, th- I think it's uh, you know quite clear that the level of demand for this new qualification was raised. Um, if you look to the legacy qualification, the assessment objectives, which are the factors that determine how we assess um, various topics, the assessment objectives didn't even mention reasoning for the legacy qualification. The old one. That's correct, yes. So uh, for this new qualification, AO2 in its entirety is all about mathematical reasoning and within that there are if you look at the um, setup for the assessment objectives there are various bullet points within each of them and for AO2 which is the reasoning they list um, that students are required to do such things as make deductions um, construct chains of reasoning towards a given result present arguments present proofs communicate mathematically assess the validity of arguments so all of that is completely well Elements of that are certainly new. There were bits of it that we would certainly have assessed within the legacy qualifications, but many of you know the elements within that are new. And how do you reckon they did, your uh, the OCR students, in that area? I think that yeah, they they did pretty well. When we were looking at the uh, various statistics that come out of the. Um, awarding um, many students have done really well in many of the areas in terms of areas that we've done less well that teachers may well wish to target within future assessments uh, the second bullet point within AO2 which instructs um, students to be able to construct chains of reasoning towards a given result which are those t- questions that typically begin show that and then the answer is provided within the question and the objective for the student is to you know construct a method present their working those questions were responded to less well on this particular series of assessments by students and you know what's the one thing that we we've you know been saying to students for years you know present your working show your method things like that and um there is you know on this new specification you know a definite series of questions that are required to be asked requiring students to do that um so it seems as if it's continuing to be an area of challenge for many so let's just get uh, andrew on reasoning generally and how um how um aqa students performed uh, yeah, I mean, one of, one of the things that, that I've looked at over the, the, the six papers that were sat was uh, where there are dips in performance in particular questions. Uh, and looking at those, particularly in the foundation tier, uh, a majority of those seem to be in that reasoning area. Uh, and when I look closer at that, the, the one pattern that is emerging, it's, it's, it's not massively strong, but it, it appears to be there, is around reasoning questions that require students to reflect on a method that's seen or to to critically evaluate some piece of work in your, the, the typical kind of spot two things that Andrew has done wrong in answering this question, and that, that kind of thing, show two things that are wrong with this diagram. Uh, and across the reasoning questions where students uh, 
performed less well. There were, there were quite a number of those appearing. And there are similar, uh, similar requirements within the, the AO3 problem-solving area. And again, those kind of evaluation of method, evaluation of results questions tended to, to perform less well uh, than some others. Graham, at Excel, reasoning? I think some very similar things. I think that it's a lot of those questions have never been particularly popular with students because they don't have numerical solutions. So writing a sentence to say, explain what you've done or give a reason for your answer are often something that they do find difficult to do to actually, like Andrew says, to reflect on it and be able to say what you've done do seem to be quite difficult. Um, the other thing that's coming into reasoning are a bit more on the proof or the show that questions is trying to get students not to make everything equal to everything else as they as they set out an argument. So just that sort of discipline that's of, of writing down sign. the maths can be difficult. Yeah. And that's being addressed right early on in primary school these days, trying to get young children to use the equal sign correctly and, and you know, hopefully in 10 years time you might not be seeing that in, <laughs> um, in GCSE papers. Let's move to problem solving, different type of question of course. Uh, stick with you Graham. Um, how, how did you see students coping with that area? I think at the higher tier we saw it done quite well. I do think it's, it's a more a challenge at the foundation tier but if we looked at the way the marks were scored overall, there wasn't a great falling off on the on the problem solving, um, but it's it's just taking out that structure and some of that is just practice at working with those questions where the structure has gone because a lot of the maths we are testing um, is the same. But we did see a couple on foundation um, where just trying to answer the question in the in the right order, fa students found a bit difficult. There was a Pythagoras with a frame where every part of the frame was 1.5 kilograms and they had to do the weight, but they started multiplying everything by 1.5 to start with, which made the Pythagoras calculation that much more difficult. It's just, uh, it's just students being able to look at the question, I think, and set out what they are going to do before they try to do it. Stand back, have a think for a mm. moment mm. before diving in. Yes. Would you agree, uh, Neil? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, certainly. I think um, when we were looking at uh, the way that the different tiers had responded to problem-solving questions, there were some differences, um, some common themes as well, um, which yeah indicate that um, it's that ability to sort of sit back, have a look at what is happening at the question and sort of think about different ways of approaching it. Um, differences between the two tiers... Um, there was one of the elements within problem solving required students to make and use connections between different areas of math, so bring together two different areas of the content. The higher tier, uh, the results show, did really well at that. You know, the results seem really pleasing. Foundation tier students do seem to have struggled with it a bit more. Um, the other thing that surprised me about uh, the problem-solving questions was that we are required to set some of the problem-solving questions within mathematical contexts and some of the problem-solving questions within non-mathematical contexts, so, you know, real-life scenarios. Um, the results from, you know, this summer's assessment indicates that for both tiers, students responded better to those questions that were set in non-mathematical real-life scenarios and contexts, which did surprise me slightly. I did expect that, you know, within a mathematics exam, students would respond better to those questions that were, you know, posed in a straight mathematical style. But from this set of assessments, that does, yeah, 
does not seem to be the case. And that was a consistent message for both tiers. So maybe something to consider there within preparation. Andrew, did you spot anything similar? Uh, I, I was just been listening to Neil and reflecting on that. Uh, and, and I wonder, and, I, and I've not looked very closely at this, whether the mathematical problem-solving questions tended to be a, a bit all or nothing, that students... They were often some of the more difficult questions towards the end of papers and that students perhaps couldn't make a start on those and, and therefore may have had a non-attempt or got no marks. Whereas some of the more contextual problem-solving questions, uh, we saw evidence of students starting those because they had a fairly straightforward start. So I'm, I'm looking at a question in front of me uh, which begins with uh, a fairly straightforward splitting splitting a, a quantity by a ratio. Uh, and so a lot of students picked up the first couple of marks, but then what they needed to do, as we've been talking about, they then needed to sit back and look at, at, at the problem-solving element of the question, what else did they need to do? And it was about weighted profit for different sizes of cake in this particular question. So contrived, uh, <laughs> realistic situation, I'll admit that. Uh, and, and students really struggled to move on. So, and we saw that in a couple of examples in both tiers where students could make a start uh, and, but came to a, a sticking point. So typically in, in, in five or six mark questions, picked up the first two, but then very few students moved on. And those that did probably then went on to get full marks. Mm -hmm. So uh, I'm going to move to algebra now because I think, I think it, it, it's agreed that there was a high demand uh, for students to demonstrate algebraic abilities and it, it was clear that that was still a, a, something which the demand hadn't, hasn't quite yet been met. Would you agree, Graham? I think so, yes. I think there was a lot for students to do at higher tier and some of that has been the steer to say make this new qualification a better preparation for A-level and A-level needs a you know, good algebraic facility. Um, and I think it's increased at foundation tier as well. And although we had some starter questions which were intended to be very straightforward algebra, um, students did struggle with those on, on foundation tier. Um, but at higher tier, there's a lot of manipulation to do. It's in a timed examination. Um, I think some students can, can panic or get the feeling that if they don't get it right the first time, that, that, mm. that they panic on, the, on a second attempt. Can we unpick, is there anything, any part of algebraic ma manipulation which you spotted? You know, is it rearranging uh, terms uh, within an equation so that you've got the terms you want on the left and the terms you want on the right? Is it, is it that or is it, is it fractions within algebra? Are there any things which stick out here within the broader algebra? I've got furrowed brows looking mm -hmm. at me here um, because teachers would be very keen to know that because uh, obviously they could then concentrate on that a bit more. Uh, Andrew? Hard to say. I'm not sure whether there's any one technique that stood out. So sometimes it was problem solving within algebra. Uh, students again could make some progress uh, in problems but the, the business of setting up an equation, then going on to solve it uh, was challenging. I think algebraic manipulation, particularly algebraic fraction manipulation, is always is always challenging. Uh, I think uh, questions involving indices, one or two of those uh, perform less well 
than we expected. Uh, and of course, the, the, the requirement to recall and use the, the quadratic formula, for example, I think a few students who were faced with that just simply couldn't remember the formula and, and, and therefore struggled to apply it. Uh, mm. and, and I think we saw that also, I think, uh, certainly with AQA and I suspect with Edexcel as well, recalling things like the cosine formula. Probably happened to you as well, Neil, I don't know. So we've got the quadratic formula, the cosine formula. Neil, any, any observations about my question before last, really? Anything within algebra? Uh, or is it just generally manipulating things with letters in? Uh, that certainly seems to be the case. I mean, the issue with looking back at a single assessment series is yeah, that there are so yeah. many other things wrapped up with many of our questions that it's very hard to say, well, it's this one particular thing. Um, we generally only touch each area of the content once and, you know, we may have assessed something within problem solving or, you know, context, as I was saying earlier. Um, yeah, manipulation, sort of rearranging and things like that. Um, indices just seem to have, yeah, been a bit of a you know, challenge as, you know, has been previously. I do think Graham. rearrangement is in there because it's often part of the show that questions as you're moving from one place to a to a final solution, if you like, and a lot of that is about the rearrangement to how you get there. Mm. Ratio, um, no surprise, I don't think, but still causing causing difficulty. Andrew, I'd say so, and and I think that's in part because we. We're required to, to test ratio and proportion uh, quite deeply uh, across the specification. It, it's, it's got its own content domain now and, and with, it, with a set percentage of marks that we have to attach to that. And that means that inevitably we're asking questions around ratio uh, that are problem-solving questions that require quite a deep understanding and, and aren't just turn the handle and, and an answer will come out or aren't exclusively that. Uh, and certainly we, we had a number of questions, that one, one that I'm thinking of that uh, provoked a minor Twitter storm on the day of the exam uh, from students uh, around, uh, essentially it was a difficult question on relatively straightforward maths. It was about fractions and ratio, uh, but didn't perform particularly well. And is the kind of question, again, going back to primary practice and key stage three practice, that as students become more comfortable using, for example, bar modelling approaches, I think it's the kind of question that, that will perform better over time. Neil? Yeah, certainly, certainly issues with ratio. And as we were just saying, yeah, it's the one area or certainly one of the major areas of the new um, qualifications that has grown within the content. You know, it's got its own section now with particular weightings. Um, so, yes, quite a few challenges. I think... We had one question in particular, and it was quite comparable to another question on one of the other board's papers, where it's about bringing together two separate ratios and, you know, joining them together to sort of build on that. And that sort of idea of working with ratios, particularly in problem-solving contexts, does seem to have been a challenger. Going back to algebra that we mentioned a few minutes ago, um, the algebra sort of weighting within these new papers hasn't really changed at all. So although there is new content within algebra, the sort of overall proportion within the papers hasn't changed. Ratio is a different story. There is new content, but also the proportion of ratio content within the papers has grown markedly. And I think that that has sort of been something that students have yeah, got to take a look at. Ratio, Graham? 
yeah, our examiners have said that because there is that much more in it, they are looking at different ways to test it, and especially across the three papers. Um, so it has led to them thinking in, in different forms of assessment. And I think that's led to questions that students and teachers may have not seen before or a version of them before. And we know that students get most upset if they haven't seen a past paper version. Um, <laughs> but there will be always some questions where they haven't seen a past paper version yes. of something being tested. OK. Well, I'm going to bring my colleague, Carol Knights, in now, who is the secondary director of the NCETM. And uh, very familiar, probably more familiar with this territory than me. And Carol's been listening to our conversation for the past 15 minutes or so. And um, Carol, I think you had a, a question for the gentleman about, about tier entry. I do. Good morning. Um, I just want to reflect on the tiers of entry for students this year. So thinking about last year, we had almost three quarters of students or entered for higher and about a quarter entered for the foundation. Um, in 2017, it went to almost ha half of the cohort being entered for higher and half the cohort being entered for foundation. Um, looking at the percentage of marks required for a level four and higher tier, it, it was reasonably low. And, and I guess that may mean that some teachers will be looking at that and thinking, Maybe I'll try these students on higher rather than on foundation. So, so I'd just like to get your perceptions, really, about did teachers get it right this year with the tiers of entry? Did you have large numbers um, at the top end of foundation that perhaps could have been entered for higher or, or conversely on the sort of bottom end of higher who perhaps should have been entered on, on the foundation tier? OK, let's start with Andrew on that question. OK, so uh, looking at the top end of foundation tier uh, and... <laughs> And, and you're quite right that at a glance, you look at the uh, the grade five boundary, ours was uh, at about 65%. So the immediate thought is, well, there must have been lots of students getting well above that. Uh, and I took a look at how many students were actually so far above that that they may have been more successful on the high team, may have, may have been able to, to achieve a grade six. So I was looking at students who were getting uh, around 190 plus marks out of the 240 uh, because that would indicate that they're way, way above the bottom of grade five. And actually, uh, even though that's a, a large spread of marks, it only encompasses about 1% of the foundation tier students. So maybe, maybe there are 1% or so of foundation tier students who had they been entered and prepared for the higher tier and if they had the confidence and resilience to, to do well on the higher tier may have got a better grade. Interestingly, I've spoken to a number of teachers who said, yeah, we had some of those students and I know, having put them through mocks, if I'd put a higher tier paper in front of them on exam day, they would have gone to pieces and barely barely picked up any marks. Yeah, this so is, This is the fact of it. Uh, teachers know their children exactly. as human beings. Exactly. And, and that's always where the decision has to come from. We can, we can, we can offer data, we can, we, can, we can give a view, but it's all about teachers knowing their students and, and knowing how they're going to cope. What about the bottom end of higher? Bottom end of higher. So, uh, I mean, the first, the first observation is that that grade four boundary mark, which I, I know the media picked up on a little bit of 17, 18, 19%, depending on which board it is, seems low. But for the bottom grade of six uh, across a paper and a paper that's designed for half of the marks to address grades seven, eight and nine, actually getting something around 40 odd marks across the three papers 
actually quite an ask because there are probably 90-some marks targeted at grades four and five, kind of medium demand, could be common marks on the papers. So we're asking somebody at the bottom of grade four to get half of those marks. So put in those terms, that doesn't feel like an, an unreasonable uh, grade boundary. Looking below the grade four to the allowed grade three, uh, and there you're looking really at students uh, who fall off the bottom of that grade three, getting around almost single figures on each paper, and we only saw a half a percent of the high tier entry in that position. So maybe, as I said earlier, maybe there were 1% of foundation tier students who could have done higher. Maybe there's half a percent of uh, higher tier students who ended up not getting a grade because they were uh, inappropriately entered. Let's go around the table, Neil, OCR. A fairly similar story. We also extrapolated where a grade six boundary on the foundation tier paper may lie and looked at the proportion of students that were getting above that and it was yeah, roughly 1% once again. Um, similar story on the higher tier where we looked at the proportions of students getting the lower grades. Uh, we had less than 1% of students getting either a U or a grade three. So the vast majority of students, you know, are picking up the grade four or above, which is, you know, the, you know, the intended position um, within the higher tier papers. Um, so, I, you know, I think that's a positive story. You know, the signs certainly coming into uh, teachers making entries were that there were plenty of concerns, to say the least, around about tier of entry. But um, looking at the results coming through afterwards, it indicates that many teachers were able to get that right. Great. Great. We had about 11% of foundation tier students getting a five. So some teachers have said, yeah, perhaps I could have put those in for higher because you never know with a five as to whether they no. could have had a six as well. Um, but about 40% on foundation getting a four and above, which is a lot more than the C and above on the old, old foundation. And a lot of that is probably to do with the shift from higher to foundation tier entry. So we do think that uh, the teachers have got it right on the whole there. Some felt they were being cautious with the new exam and that may have been the way to go. Um, so I've, I've heard it from, from both directions, some who uh, put students on for hire and wish they put them on for foundation from, mm. from what they were able to achieve. Thank you. Carol, anything else in the conversation that you've just heard that uh, you'd like to pick up on or any other questions you'd like to fire at the three gentlemen? No, I think that was really helpful, actually. Um, and I, I think the, the, the thing there about... Teachers seem to have kind of got it right this year. Where, you know, whatever strategies they were using seem to have sort of pitched it correctly for the tiers. I think that's going to be really helpful. Thank you. Well, let, let us finish with one area which is of general interest, and that's girls versus boys. Is there any, any, anything within the new GCSE which has taught us lessons about what relative strengths, if there are relative strengths, between girls and boys uh, at maths exist? Anybody like to kick us off? I don't, I, I don't think the data tells us a lot. I know that the data tells us that it's roughly the same up to grade seven and then the boys are slightly ahead in the distribution on grades eight and nine. But um, to speculate on what that is, I have heard people say that it's to do with confidence and approaching problem-solving questions might be, might be one element. But um, I haven't taught anyone to do this, so I'm probably not best no. placed to. And there's nothing, to tell you. nothing shouting at you in that direction from no. from what's the numbers that are in front of you, Neil. No, no, there's no sort of indications that there is sort of any particular area of the paper that seems to have been responded to 
you know, better by either males or females. And, it, yeah, it just seems to have been sort of coming into the higher grades. You had very slightly higher proportions of boys. Mm-hmm. Andrew? Yeah, I would agree with that. Certainly that the, there is nothing in terms of performance on individual questions or question styles that, that jumps out. Uh, I think uh, it is striking that uh, at grade nine, and I think, I think nationally, uh, even though the numbers at grade nine are about three and a half percent of the population, uh, I, I don't know what the exact figure is, but there are significantly more boys than girls in that top three and a half percent, according to the GCSE outcomes. Yeah. Okay, well, we're, we're, we're reaching the end. So what I've heard, conclusions, I'm thinking of secondary teachers listening to this. We're, we're, we're talking at the end of November. We're, we're entering the mock season. Some schools have got mocks on right now. Others will be having them in January. Uh, so secondary school maths teachers should, obviously, we can't, sitting around this table, tell teachers what to do in classrooms. That's entirely their business. But if there are, if there are a couple of themes that I've heard in the past 25 minutes or so, the one that really sticks out to me is is ratio because it, it plays such a bigger part in, in the paper now. And the second is, you know, keep doing whatever you can on, on algebra. To um, uh, Is that fair, those two headlines, or is there anything else anybody would like to add or um, amplify? Andrew? I, I think that and uh, working throughout, throughout Key Stage 3 on building reasoning skills. Neil? Yeah, yeah, certainly agree on the content points. And yeah, just taking a look at the, you know, specific areas within reasoning and problem solving, as we were speaking about earlier, you know, the idea of drawing conclusions and evaluating as well at the end of questions. Um, certainly, um, yeah. Yeah, those points. And, and just building up confidence with problem solving, because they do look difficult. As you as you look at them, it's taking that step back and being able to think about a strategy and being prepared to do that and perhaps being prepared to do that and get it wrong to start with until you get it right. OK, thank you very much. So Graham coming from Edexcel, Neil Ogden from OCR and Andrew Taylor from AQA. Thanks very much for joining me. And Carol Knights, my colleague for NCTM Secondary Director as well. Um, uh, everything... Uh, about the NCTM and the NTM's work you can find on the NCTM's website of course but in particular we've got an area on the on our website called qualifications and curriculum page which you can uh, see from our home page and that is really aimed principally at heads of departments in uh, secondary schools heads of math departments in secondary schools and there is a section in that uh, broad area within our website for all of the three exam boards represented around this table. And the, the brief aim of this section is to give heads of department and maths teachers news and information about what's changing within the broad area of maths and other areas. There's sections for Ofqual, Ofsted, the DfE and other organisations as well. So if you're interested in this area and want to keep keep tabs on what's going on, either generally or with any one of any of the three exam boards, then... Uh, you can put that on your favourites. So that look for the qualifications and curriculum page within the NCTM website. So thank you very much for listening. Uh, there'll be another NCTM podcast on another area of maths education soon. You can uh, download this podcast from the NCTM podcast page and you can subscribe to all our podcasts so that uh, your device, whatever your device is, automatically notices and downloads all the podcasts as they come in. And uh, we'd love it if you left a review as well to say that you in, like this podcast in particular or our podcast generally on the iTunes page because that all helps 
uh, other teachers find our podcasts when they're looking for them. So thank you very much again to our guests. Thank you for listening and goodbye.